He criticizes Burden's letter as hyperbolic and unsuited for publication in an academic journal, but then quotes other passages he attributes to her with seeming approval. I was left with a muddled impression of the letter, as well as a feeling of irritation with Brickman, whose commentary effectively smothers Burden's original text. I immediately looked up the three exhibitions. The History of Western Art by Tisch, The Suffocation Rooms by Eldridge, and Beneath by Rune, each of which was visually distinct from the other two. Nevertheless, I gleaned what I would call a family resemblance among the three. The Tisch Eldridge and Rune shows Burden had allegedly invented were all compelling as art, but I was especially intrigued by Burden's experiment because it resonated with my own intellectual concerns. My teaching schedule was heavy that year. I had duties as temporary chair of my department, and I wasn't able to satisfy my curiosity about maskings until three years later when I took a sabbatical leave to work on my book, Plural Voices in Multiple Visions, in which I discussed the work of Soren Kierkegaard, M. M. Bakhtin, and the art historian Abby Warburg. Brickman's description of Burden's project and her poetized personalities, the latter expression is Kierkegaard's, meshed perfectly with my own thoughts. So I decided to track Brickman down through the open eye and hear what he had to say for himself. Peter Wentworth, the editor of the journal, retrieved email correspondence from Brickman to him, several short, dry, business-related notes. When I tried to contact Brickman, however, I discovered the address was defunct. Wentworth produced an essay Brickman had published in the journal two years before his letter in the open eye, which I belatedly remembered having read, an abstruse paper critiquing the ongoing debates about concepts in analytical philosophy, a subject remote from my own interests. According to Wentworth, Brickman had earned a Ph.D. in philosophy from Emory University and was an assistant professor at St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota. When I contacted St. Olaf, however, it turned out that no person named Richard Brickman was teaching or had ever taught in that department. Needless to say, Emory University had no records of a Ph.D. candidate by that name either. I decided to go straight to Harriet Burden, but by the time I tracked her down in New York through her daughter Maisie Lord, Burden had been dead for two years. The idea for this book was born during my first telephone conversation with Maisie Lord. Although she knew about Brickman's letter, she was surprised to hear that its author was not the person he had purported to be, if indeed he was anyone at all. She assumed her mother had been in touch with him, but knew nothing about the particulars of their connection. Harriet Burden's artwork had all been catalogued and stored by the time I spoke to Maisie, and she had been at work on a documentary film about her mother for several years. The film includes voiceover excerpts from the 24 private journals her mother began keeping after her husband, Felix Lord, died in 1995, 
each one labeled with a letter of the alphabet. As far as Maisie knew, none of the diaries mentioned Brickman. I found two references to R.B., presumably Richard Brickman, but nothing more revealing than that. Maisie, however, felt sure her mother had left a number of clues inside the journals, not only to her pseudonymous project, but also to what she called the secrets of my mother's personality. Two weeks after our phone call, I flew to New York, where I met with Maisie, her brother Ethan Lord, and Burden's companion, Bruno Kleinfeld, all of whom spoke to me at great length. I viewed hundreds of artworks Burden had never shown anywhere, and her children informed me that her work had just been taken by the prestigious Grace Gallery in New York City. The Burden Retrospective mounted in 2000.